you can't do this on your own. No, no priest in the United Kingdom right. can execute the Lord's mission for a parish on his own. And so what Jesus Christ wants to do is he wants to gather people around you. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm your host, Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Dave, the masked pamphleteer, Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> Good. I don't have any pamphlets for you today, but there was a time when I carried them everywhere. <laughs> I just imagine you, like running out of like the bushes and like putting them on all your neighbors' cars and then running fading away. <laughs> There's that Van Vickle, the mass pamphleteer. <laughs> he struck again. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> before we kick off the show, where what you you got a, this big event that we've talked about, Peter's Shadow Group out in uh yeah, Akron. Akron. What, the Akron when area. are you out for that? Yeah. That's tomorrow, uh, which by the time this show airs, it'll be over. But um, I'm leaving tomorrow, and uh, it'll be good. It's going to be a great, like, a day of uh, spiritual warfare training. And uh, it's a little bit more academic side of things like that. So so what do you mean by that, more academic? Well, we'll talk about, like, uh, theological underpinnings of spiritual warfare. So I think, like, right now, anytime you talk about spiritual warfare or deliverance, you jump right into the practical side. And I think we lose a lot, like when we don't start out grounded in the great, long-standing tradition of the church. So um, that, it's like my soapbox. So don't get me started. But I just feel like we really need to make sure that all of all ecclesial movements, all spiritualities, are really deeply rooted in the long-standing tradition of the church. So. But um, but yeah, it'll be good. Even even if you missed that, even if you didn't get a chance to attend, um, I have tons of talks coming up for, called "The Catholic Truth About Angels, Demons, Ghosts, Exorcisms, and Hauntings," and you can see the schedule uh, at thesinnersguide.com. And you'll want to check back every day because I'm adding talks every day right now for the fall. And, <laughs> no, uh, not for the fall. For Halloween. For the yeah, season, right? <laughs> the liturgical season of Halloween. Right, but I'll be on you know I'll be on both coasts and everywhere in between. So uh, so please come out if you if you have something in your area. It's a great little event. It's two hours. I give a talk for an hour and fifteen minutes, and I promise you won't be bored. I answer questions for about forty five, and then I bring a bunch of first class relics with me that um, priests have used during the exorcisms. You know, for people to venerate, and it's always like a really special event. So you've heard it before, Gomer, right? Well, you did for my parish. I had you do the Advent mission, but I've never heard that talk. Okay, so the middle night of your parish mission was similar to that. So. Yeah, yeah, that's when we had a guy yell at you because of you teaching what the Catholic faith teaches. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, man, that was so. That was awkward. So the next day, folks, it was really funny. So this guy screamed out because apparently his mom was a medium or something. And I get up, and before I brought Dave up, I said, just to make sure everyone clearly understands. And I went through, I think it's the First Commandment um, article in Part 3 of the Catechism. And right. it talks about recourse to mediums and psychics and all this other stuff. And so I said, Dave is not just some fringe weirdo like right, so right. many other stuff. I said, I want to walk you through this real quick. And so I read the catechism just yeah. to everyone. I was like, do we all understand? And I had a whole row of people. I don't know if you notice this. whole row of people in the in the in probably the front two rows who were like ready to be your bouncers. And they were like, yes, yes, yes. Really? Clapping. That's so yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was funny. 
It was funny. Yeah, I have I have a lot of I have a lot of people who object, you know, who come to those talks. I have a lot of people who are like actual, you know, they they say that they're witches come and say things and stuff like that. So. I only do white magic. Ah. Oh no, yeah. I mean like people come and say like I'm a witch and I'm here to like mess with you, you know. So you it's have funny. people say that. Oh yeah, I've had people say that. Yeah. I have to I have to really make sure that people watch the relics because you know of just the weirdos that kind of come to that talk. So. Dave, I just want to say everything about your life startles, scares, and surprises. <laughs> Stop! Me. It's that's ridiculous. That's everything. Ridiculous. So, speaking of new things, we are going to dive into a listener email show. I'm excited. We've, I know you're excited. Yeah, <laughs> because I've been clicking clacking all morning on it. But we are going to focus on uh, four particular emails: two from a guy, <laughs> two from two Aaron's, uh, a Chaz and a Luke, and we're going to walk through this because. This is great because the emails that we get, people are asking for like clarification, right. maybe more information or an application of different things that we've right. we talked love about. It. We love it. And yeah, I think these are so great. So we're going to dive in. And the first one is, I, I, I don't have the last name, so I gave, uh, gave them all nicknames. So we got Chaz the Man writes, hey guys, love the podcast. I've been asked to start and lead a men's group at our parish. We have a mini retreat this weekend, and I spoke to the guy leading about what we were going to do following the retreat to keep them engaged and the men coming. In turn, he said, great idea. So now this guy, now he's voluntold. I love it. He's got the <laughs> reins, and he's pumped about, but he doesn't know what the typical old guys drinking coffee and talking about surface topics. He wants to go deeper with them. So his idea is give them their testimony, uh, give something to build their trust and doesn't require too much from them. Uh, reading the gospel, doing a, uh, you know, for the upcoming Sunday, doing a reflection on it, some small group questions. So what are our thoughts? Maybe even a book study or something like that. Yeah. I th I, and I think those are all good ideas. I really do. I think I've seen a lot of men's groups that do the the following or the, the you know, the previous or following gospel and they go around and they share about it. I think that leaves a lot of pressure on the leader, you know, when, when you do that. Um, but I think that's a good thing to start. And I, I like the idea of you giving your testimony and I like the idea of maybe even at the end of that passing out a, how to write your own personal testimony and seeing, you know, if anybody else would be interested in helping with that as well. Um, because that can really help to grow the intimacy of the group. I, and I want to speak from, you know, you have to understand. I I despise men's groups. I I hate them so much. It makes me so uncomfortable. I don't know why, but I always have hated <laughs> them because I don't know. It's just strange to me that I, I've always everything not about been... you is surprising. I was not expecting you to say. Yeah. That. Oh yeah, no, no, I no, I'm, I'm I'm really not good at men's groups. But uh, like if someone if the people are quiet for like more than a second, I start to sweat. So it's like, um, so I have a hard time with that. But. Anyways, I like that idea. There's also a few books that you could use. Um, there's a few Protestant books that I'll have to look up and maybe we can put it in the show notes that are really good. One of the books that my men's group uses is called Signposts, and it's been around forever. And to be honest with you, I don't know enough about it um, other than what I've heard so far has been very good. It references the catechism. It does it, all the right things that you want to hear and it has a lot of really relevant topics. So that might be a good thing to work through. I also think you got to make sure if you want this to be good, that you're doing things outside of the discussion part, like that you're doing things to grow uh, in male friendship outside of that. You know, it's not just the religious aspect. So go to a game, do something, do things that manly men do that Gomer and I know nothing about. You know, <laughs> Yeah, I would just want to 
touch upon that. Um, oftentimes, the paradigm of evangelization and catechesis is sitting and talking, right? And I make my money that way, and we're doing that right now. But um, oftentimes, especially in men's groups, that pushes them away. And I think it's so funny that Dave said silence makes you so nervous, you start sweating. Um, So many men don't know how to talk about their faith, so there is a lot of awkward silence. So I think that's a good reason to have some sort of guide or content that they can say. My one caution of many Sunday devotionals, so it's going to take some research, is so often it's like, hey, look at these things that Jesus is doing and saying, and let's explain it some more. And it's not really brutal, uh, sure, practical, you know, self-application. And so I would just encourage you to figure out some of those that, that might have that, or f- for you to get a good guide and then throw in something that's more focused on that. One of the things that we do is we often say like, Oh, how would you apply this to your life? And the people say, you know what we need to do? It's not we, it's I, right. I need to do. And so I would just say as a facilitator of a men's group after a retreat hit upon those themes, another good book um, is leaving boyhood behind by Jason Craig. Great guy. um, Excellent book. It's all about basically it's like Catholic men's stuff. So I think that's a great book. And another one I might recommend, it's not necessarily religious, but it is written for a Catholic audience. Um, it's called Dedication and Leadership by Douglas Hyde. Very interesting. He was a former communist who converted to Catholicism in the 1950s. And I benefited greatly from leadership and dedication training for this um, in my own life and also for various levels of volunteers and stuff. Uh, a lot of times men will gravitate more towards something like leadership than they will right. Jesus. Right. So. That's just that's just one thing I would recommend. But I do want to say, people, when you plan a retreat, the follow up is more important than the lead up. Oh, I'm <laughs> because, so bad at it. That's that's a good point. That's yeah. I am too because it's so exhausting to put on a retreat. Right. But the follow up is more important than the lead up. I, I always tell people, it used to be we'd have seven meetings leading up to an event or a mission trip, and then like one or two meetings after. It should be the exact opposite most of the time. So. Um, Chaz, the man, I like that you're, you're doing this, keeping the fires burning. I also would recommend Exodus 90. Um, maybe not right after a retreat, but if your men's group is going and you're doing some reflection and you want to step up your game, I just did Exodus 90. Unlike Dave, I love men's groups. I just did Exodus 90 with a group of men and it was awesome and I loved it. I hate giving men's sessions, men's talks, because I feel like I can't contribute anything, but the groups I love being in. All right, next question. We got Luke the Seminarian. Luke the Seminarian from the UK. Dear Gomer and Dave, too hot to handle, too cold to hold Van Vickle. I am an English seminarian. (laughs) I love that seminarians are writing that. Preparing for ordination to the diaconate this coming year. Congratulations. And I just wanted to say thank you for the great work you're doing on the podcast and to ask a question. You're welcome. In the UK, we face a lot of the same problems as you do in the States. Our people generally aren't well-formed, and we struggle for volunteers. But on top of that, our weekly collections tend to be so low that paid employees aren't typically realistic for most parishes. We can't afford to pay a director of religious education or evangelization, and these things tend to fall, along with everything else, on the priest. So I suppose my question is, what would you guys suggest as the absolute basics to start building 
for a priest to get in place that he can manage reasonably alongside all his other duties? I realize that it's a big question. Sometimes it seems a little overwhelming. I've read a lot of the books, Divine Renovation, etc., but a lot of their time and their uh, but a lot of the time their starting position is so radically different from our average yep. parishes yep. that it's difficult to think how you would even start to implement. Please be assured of my prayers and keep up the great work, Luke the Seminarian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I want to address the last paragraph first because this is something that you and I talk a lot about, Gomer, even like off the air, and that is there. There are amazing programs out there, uh, divine renovation, um, you know, amazing parish things like that, but they really tend to be things that only wealthy, large, very active parishes can put yeah. on, can really start to do. Now, I'm not saying you can't make cultural change in a poor parish, but I do, I do really feel for a lot of DREs and priests who are in poor parishes and say like, well, there's no way we have the resources to do something like this. And I, and I understand exactly where he's coming from. Gomer and I've talked about several times, writing a pair, a parish evangelization book specifically that, that any parish could do. You know, we've talked about that and maybe that's coming in the future, huh, Gomer? Oh, um, I think so. Yeah. Uh, but here's, here's my, my, very simple thought, and I think Omer will have probably more to contribute to this. I would, uh, first of all, I, Luke, I'd focus on being holy, number two, because of the law of the lid. Number two, I would focus on the duties that you have to do as a pastor, as a priest, and then I would add just one. I wouldn't add more. I would add one night a week to your schedule, and I'd start teaching the faith, and I would try my very best to teach the faith in a way that is well-rounded and involves the kerygma, okay? I would start to really try to just teach the faith to adults, and that's going to give you the volunteer base that you need to start to be able to do more and more and more. What you'll see is uh, the first night, maybe eight people show up, then 20, then 30, then 40, and you'll start to form these people a little bit, get to know them. You'll realize that they might be a little bit more formed than you thought or less formed than you thought, and you'll start to really meet them where they're at. And that gives you a big pool of support at that point of people who are actively trying to grow in their faith that you can call on to then try and build the kingdom in your parish. Simply that. Simply that. Also, I'm mad that Gomer didn't read it in an English accent. Cheerio, uh, cheerio, rot, rot. Oh, that was, oh, that's awful. We just lost listeners from that. Now you know why I didn't. Also, I want to point out he's using S's instead of Z's in his emails. Threw me off. Realize? Come on. Um, <laughs> no, but I want to say, listen, if you have nothing, no paid employees at your parish, Luke the Seminarian, there is one easy thing, two words that you can do that will radically alter your faith. I'm, I'm going to use two different words, okay? Number one, helter-skelter. Number two, putt-putt. Okay. What? <laughs> in the, in the UK, there are two cathedrals. One turned the nave of the church into a putt putt place. No, and they the other didn't. one, yes, this and a bishop. Real. This is one hundred percent real. Uh, a drunken Anglican ran into the church. It was like, get all this stuff out of here, and now he's in jail. <laughs> um, and then the other one, a bishop built a helter skelter, which is like a giant swirly slide, and gave his homily from the top of the helter skelter. It is the most tragic thing I have ever Dude, seen in my is, entire that, life. That is messed up. Okay, hey, so know, that being you know, said, what? What? You know, you know, Petrock Willie, the professor at Franciscan, he's yeah. from England and he he actually he said that the situation there is is actually worse than a lot of places in the United States. I mean, he, and he's like the guy, right? I mean, he's like the catechesis guy, it, maybe even globally, you know. 
And so I, I feel for this guy. I mean, it's hard to be a priest and to know that you're going into a parish that's totally uncatechized, you know? The most difficult thing is not having someone you can rely on to execute your vision. And so I think my thing would be to ardently pray for like maybe two or three volunteers and who will carry the mission of evangelization. And what I would say is, uh, so you, you can't do this father, you, you soon to be father. You can't do this on your own. No, right. no priest in the United Kingdom can execute the Lord's mission for a parish on his own. And so what Jesus Christ wants to do is he wants to gather people around you. Right now, we need to humble ourselves and radically cry out to God for these people. Um, we we need to invest in one or two or three people and pour ourselves into so that they can go on using their own coin and get additional training and learn more and grow more in their faith, so that they can have. And this is the most important thing: a white hot faith. Right. The problem is we want tips and tricks, we want techniques, we want metrics, we want to manage, but what matters the most is a white-hot faith, and you can't do it alone even if your faith is burning as bright as a star, right? So you have the Curie Rs. He didn't have a staff. That's right. He didn't have a huge thing. They ended up having to build a train terminal in the small town of ours. Now, I'm not saying you have to be the Curie of ours, but I am saying we know that way works. <laughs> so yeah, it works. Pray really well. for people who have a white hot faith. Now, the proclamation of the gospel, the building of the community around the God, these are all necessary things. There's not one thing that you can do that'll just trigger, oh, like, oh, you preach a charismatic homily. Boom, now you're going to have 50 people show up at your next event or whatever. Um, I, I would just say the, it takes a lot of these different things. Reread Evangelii Nuziandi um, and just focus on, like, praying for a white-hot faith for yourself and for, you know, up to three, you know, cohorts, right? Three human beings who will carry the who will carry your shield into battle, right? Who will help you on the front lines with all this stuff that you can rely on. That's my goal for you. Amen. That's great. All right. Next one. The first of the two errands. We got Aaron, the book nerd, writes, hey, fellas, love the podcast. Can't get enough. Uh, just to let you know, the word fellas from the same Latin root word as felon. Moving on. <laughs> Was hoping you could help me out with a few things. First off, you make a ton of book recommendations on the podcast, but I was hoping you could narrow it down a bit for me. I am a cradle Catholic who recently went through a sort of conversion experience where I feel like I'm being called to evangelize and bring the gospel to people to advance the kingdom of heaven on earth. However, I'm extremely new to evangelization and was looking for one or two key books that you believe every evangelist should read. The second one is he, this one's a little bit more for me. He's starting up a, their parish wants to do a prison ministry and he's just looking for advice from that. So my question is any advice? I'm going to take that second part first. Aaron, the most important thing you could do about prison ministry is not reinvent the wheel. Go with an already existing prison ministry, participate in their prison ministry for several months and get to know the chaplain and the warden and the assistants and the majors and all of them that are involved. Because what's going to happen is once you get assigned, let's say you get assigned one unit 
it you were going to face so many hurdles and obstacles and bureaucracy because it's just the nature of a state institution. But then you're going to get spiritual attacks and all this stuff. You're going to want to do it your own way, and you will fail miserably. So humble yourself. Imitate what other people are doing. Partner with them. Men, be mentored first. And then go off and uh, and maybe after like five or six months of doing other people's stuff, then you can get the feel of it and do your own thing. All right, Dave. First one, one or two key books. You, you give me two key books, and then we're going to throw something special in our five practical takeaways. What do, what do you think? All right. Okay, so the first one I'm going to give you, I, I don't want you to be disappointed because I think you're going to read it and say, well, what does this have to do with evangelization? But it's a little book. You could read it in a day if you wanted to. It's called The, uh, sorry, it's called, uh, the Way of a Disciple, and it's by a guy uh, by the name of Erasimo Leiva Marikakis, which is a very strange name. But um, made that up. It, no, it's true. It's real. It's one of my favorite books of all time, and I'll tell you why I feel like it's so important for evangelization. What's going to happen is you start to bring people to the Lord is that they don't understand what discipleship means. It's really hard in this day and age to show someone what discipleship means because we're not living in real community with lots and uh, lots of other disciples. So, for instance, someone comes to the Lord, what does it mean to work as as a follower of Christ? What does it mean to date as a follower of Christ? What does it mean to all those things as a follower of Christ, right? It's hard to describe to someone what actual, like, intense, serious discipleship means. And this book really has a way of kind of articulating what the Christian life is about uh, and and showing what real true discipleship is. Uh, he takes just a few scriptures and, and really dives into them. And, and I've found it very, very useful in showing someone the intensity with which a person should approach the life of discipleship. Okay. Um, and am I giving two books, Gomer? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, the next thing I would do is I would probably uh, do something by Frank Sheed. Either <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. Keep going. Either Catholic Evidence Training Outlines would be one thing, or which is kind of a nerdy book. You'd have to really be into this. Theology for Beginners or Map of Life is another good one. Um, what, what's the one that you, you were going to recommend, Gomer? The, the I was going to recommend, yeah, Theology and Sanity. Theology okay. and okay. Sanity, or his wonderful book, The Difference Jesus Makes. What is The Difference Jesus Makes? Um, it is an excellent book that walks you through that one question in like five different chapters. Another book that could be very good for y'all is Jesus Shock by Dr. Peter Kreeft. Yeah, yeah. and that's an easy one. K-R-E-E-F-T. Yeah, it's a very easy one to read. And a little bit more academic one maybe is, I think it's called Jesus the Bridegroom. From Brant Petrie. It's a very beautiful look. Oh, every book by Brant Petrie is worth owning the hardcover of. Right. They are, number one, the covers are beautiful. But number two, <laughs> they he just knocks it out of the park. Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary. Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. I mean, these things are amazing books. But I would say um, the I, I got the audio book of um, Jesus the Bridegroom, I think it's called. And it was, it's just phenomenal. It's phenomenal. 
Great. So, um, yeah, the, those are a couple but Now <laughs> you said one or two, and we just recommended five. Like 20? I know. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is I'm about to say, you should just order everything Frank Sheet has and just work through it. That's what you should do. <laughs> okay, so, so let's let me just it. add okay, to the say, list. How about this? You say one book, and I'll say one. Well, I'll narrow it down. I'm going to narrow right, it down to, to Jesus Shock. I think that's okay. a good one for any at any level. You can benefit from it, but especially if you're kind of newbie and and it can help. All right, I'm sticking with Way of a Disciple then. <laughs> Boo! Why <laughs> limit? It. <laughs> we can't even do it when the question. I know. Says I know. To do it. I know. We're the oh, worst. that is so funny. So funny. Do you have any? Uh, pri- have you ever been to a prison, Dave? Uh, that's a strange question to ask. Um, uh, I have let not me rephrase that. For have you ministry. ever been to- <laughs> I have not been there for ministry. No, I've no, I've never many, been to- many times. I've never been to prison. Okay. Never been to prison. But, uh, yeah. So. Not, not yet. Keep doing your pro-life work. You will. Yeah. Ooh, don't say that. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> All right. So the fourth and final question we have from Aaron Viadorer, our second Aaron for the day. Uh, hello. And, and just I'm, I'm going to give you a little tip, people. If you want your emails to be read on the show, you have to use a nickname for Dave. Hello, Mike Gormley and Dave Milk and Honey Van Vickle. That's still my favorite. First of all, thank you. I've been listening to your podcast since day one. Boom. Good marketing ascension. While I haven't always been faithful to the five practical tips each week. Too bad. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I guess you're going to hell. Um, Just kidding. Purgatory. Just for a little bit. They have stretched me in ways I was afraid of in the past. That is awesome. In the past, the tip stretched me enough to take up a position in July at a local parish collaborative. Two parishes sharing resources up here in Massachusetts as the director of Lifelong Faith Formation. Your wow, insights, challenge, and resources, especially Sherry Waddell's book, which we didn't mention in the last question, which is oh so good. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's like the only book we didn't mention. And it's the best. <laughs> uh, these have been transformative for me and my family. Awesome, Aaron. I cannot thank God enough for the ways your podcast has prepared me for a deeper commitment as a disciple. Again, The Way of the Disciple is a great book, too. The other reason I'm emailing you is in reference to something Dave mentioned in one of the recent podcasts, guiding kids through an experience of adoration. After the most recent Pew poll that just came out on Catholics and their understanding, or lack thereof, of the Eucharist, I'm wanting to focus the efforts of our religious ed and faith formation on the real presence and adoration. I'm hoping to have each grade level have an experience of one hour of adoration over the course of the year. Now, here's the main question. Do you have any resources that you have used that can help make this a success for the various age, age groups? Uh, you mentioned just doing this with four or five and six-year-olds. Do you avoid adoration with the older kids? If so, why? Do you have any other ideas how to ignite the older kids' hearts for the love of the Eucharist? And then there's a follow-up question that I'm going to save for, for after Dave's answer to this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, there is uh – there are some resources uh, out there um, that you can get for children's adoration. And I, I can't remember exactly what the organization is, but if you look up children's adoration, there is a brother in France who has kind of pioneered this and leads a holy hour for kids. Uh, it might be called Children of Hope or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. But if you Google that, you'll find it. Um, and this brother, he'll lead them through adoration. What I did is just kind of stole what he did 
and I'll lead young kids. And I, what I found is that for this particular program, it works best, like the younger, the better. So four, five, six, seven-year-olds, it's really, really effective with uh, the older kids. you got to get into something different. Uh, and what I'll do is basically it's just a series of songs, prayers, and questions. And they'll literally – they don't have any papers or they don't know the words of the song. I'll just sing a line and then they sing behind me and then they sing after me, okay? And and they'll Wait, wait, repeat. wait, wait, wait. Wait. Yeah. You are singing? I I am. It's strange. And sometimes it doesn't go that well. But then they, they, they repeat after me. So it's they're simple songs. It's not anything crazy. Like it'll be like praise God from whom all blessings flow, and then they'll sing that. Okay, can and we then, release an album of you doing this? This is you, Dave. I, this is you an could, income you, stream. You could release a an album of me rapping it. We could do that. <laughs> In like khaki pants and like like no like the, like a really nerdy shirt or something like that. Um, okay, so anyway, so we'll sing a song. Uh, we'll. I'll lead them in a prayer. And then what I'll do is I'll say, now we're going to just take 10 seconds. And I want you to just in your heart, very quietly, just be quiet and tell Jesus you love him. Okay. Then we'll do it. Then after 10 seconds, we'll do another song, another prayer. And then I'll do 20 seconds of silence. And then another song and another prayer. And then 30 seconds of silence, another song, another a minute. And we'll work up during the holy hour, basically up to five minutes of silence, which is an eternity for a six-year-old, okay? Um, (laughs) But the questions get more complicated. So the final question is going to be like, uh, you know, just listen to Jesus and just see if if he has anything to say to you. Like, what what does Jesus have to say to you uh, during adoration? And it is so beautiful because I always have them share afterwards, and they'll share the most amazing, profound things. So that's for kids. When it comes to older kids, uh, what I have done is basically just the journaling method, where I have them sit in silence uh, for several minutes and then do some journaling in the presence of the Holy Eucharist. And um, that has worked well. So, for instance, um, I don't know if they do this down in Houston, Gomer, but in Pittsburgh, they have like um, CCD, like power schools during the summer where like you can get all of your CCD hours over in two weeks. And I was like, this is so stupid. Like, this is so awful. So I was like, that's it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lead this. So I had like 12 kids. We did it like it was like uh, field trip based. So I would like when we talked about the church, I took them to the cathedral. We met the bishop and all that kind of stuff. When we talked about saints. We went to like the relic church and stuff like that. Okay, so so when I did the holy hours with them, they did it every day. What I would do is I would have uh, journals for them to fill out and I would not pass the, like they would they would listen and then there'd be journaling time. So it wouldn't just be like, here's the hour. It's all yours. We would literally like have time when we were listening and then time when we'd be journaling, you know, during that. And the questions, you know, involve just, you know, the deeper questions about life really just to to write about those things. And I did have really good success with that. So you could do those kinds of things. There are several programs. I just went ahead and Googled it. There are several programs online for children's adoration, uh, children of the Eucharist, children of hope. I think the, the, the original one was children of hope. And it's yeah, I'm of on France, children of hope.org. I'm on children of hope.org okay. right now. And it's father okay. Antoine Thomas. Oh, it's father. Okay. So well, when he's, I was, a, he's a Capuchin monk, I think. Right. right. So brother. when, so yeah. when he started that, he was brother Antoine. So that's interesting. Oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah, and let and, me just um, say this: childrenofhope.org is the ugliest website I have ever seen in our li- in my life. That's so and, offensive to go over. 
It is it, number one, Comic Sans. Nah. Number two, <laughs> it is just all over the place. However, <laughs> donate to them so that they can get a better website. It's called Squarespace. Come on, people. <laughs> That's awesome. There's another one called ChildrenOfHope.nz, which I think is in New Zealand, and um, uh, everything else is Comic Sans there as well. But they have a lot <laughs> so of really. Ridiculous. They have a literally a PDF. Um, it's called the Leader's Guide. So if you Google Children of Hope Leader's Guide, um, it came up. And it's, it's just all laid out. It's very beautiful. So I think that's awesome. And it's funny that one of the reasons why I wanted this letter in there from Aaron the Adorer is because at my parish, uh, we have a young mom's group called the St. Anne Society, whom I adore. And um, pun intended. And they asked if we could do a family adoration time so that we can teach the little ones how to do adoration as a community. And to involve things like the traditional prayers, but also maybe a contemporary praise and worship. But their their main focus was to uh, build within the kids a desire for silence. That's what the parents said. Silence before the Eucharist. To, to inculcate within them a reverence for the Blessed Sacrament. And with the Pew Research data coming out saying, what was it, like 73% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence? I've, I, it couldn't be more timely. So we're trying to figure that out. So, Aaron. Well done on the question. Now, here is a follow-up, Dave. You ready for this? Better yet, I am wondering if, in light of the recent Pew Research poll on Catholics and belief in the Eucharist, you were planning on focusing in on the the Eucharist as a jumping-off point for evangelization. It seems to be something people struggle with accepting nowadays, although, you know, back in Jesus' earthly ministry, they did too. It is easy for the modern relativistic thinking Catholic to pick and choose themselves away from this hard teaching of Jesus. It seems like an area that needs some doubling down on in our church here in the U.S. In any case, know of my gratitude and prayers in Christ, Aaron. Awesome. So what would you say about the Eucharist as a jumping off point for evangelization? Uh. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. And I think that it's, I think you can do it. I think one of the big problems, like, I mean, you're mentioning all the big hot button things like, well, modernist idea of, of the, of the true presence in the Eucharist, it just doesn't jive. And I think the real problem is we're, we're really teaching it poorly. We're teaching Eucharistic theology very poorly, meaning that, uh, people don't understand the different senses of God's presence. They don't understand the philosophy behind what we're teaching. They don't understand, you know, all of those kinds of things. And so we have to really make sure that if we're going to use it in an evangelical way, we both teach well and set up times of encounter. One example would be, uh, what do they call it, Gomer, when they open up the church and then people go outside and try and bring people in? Oh, uh, uh, night, night fever, night fever, night fever. Night, which night is fever. the weirdest name ever. Can I right. say this? So the, this is for people in like urban settings and they'll often open up the cathedral. It's well, yeah, it started night. in Europe and in, in like a, in like a, a dance club place like, or something like that. And they called it night fever. <laughs> the point is, is that they set up these moments of encounter in a lot of way, in a lot of ways, Jesus does evangelizing on his own still to this day, okay? I I can't stress this enough that I am not reporting just like the strange stories, but if you have adoration, if you start to do Eucharistic-centered things, weird things are going to happen to the point where people are coming to the church and you have no idea why. I think I've given the example on this uh, podcast before where when we started Perpetual Adoration at one of the churches I was at, 
it was the most massive battle, right? I mean, I was losing sleep because I was filling in at night. It was really hard. But you couldn't believe the way the parish changed. You just couldn't believe. And even to the point where a guy said he thought he was going crazy because he every time he drove by our church, he heard a heartbeat. And he said, if I hear it again the next day, I'm going to drive. I'm going to go into the church. And he went into the Adoration Chapel. He had not been into a Catholic church since he was in third grade. He said he saw people kneeling before the bread is what he called it. And he said he just got down on his knees and gave his life to the Lord because he knew that that's who it was. I mean, this is a powerful, powerful thing. And, and it's like it's evidence at the Steubenville Youth Conferences. It's evidenced uh, in so many things with Life Team that the, the Eucharist, he draws all men to himself. And so if you can teach correctly about the Eucharist and teach what the church actually believes about the true presence, and then you can set up these moments of encounter, trust me, you're going to bring people to Jesus in droves. I think that is awesome. I think that's wonderful. I think um, the maybe for a focus, um, look at Sacred Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So the institution of the Last Supper was given by special revelation directly to St. Paul, right? What I, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he gave thanks, Eucharist, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then here's the kicker for the last verse. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the beautiful thing about this understanding of our Catholic Christian faith is that the reception of the Eucharist is a form of proclamation. This is where liturgy, where liturgios and uh, kerygma become one and the same, right? This is the proclamation of the Lord's death. And I remember the Protestant... Um, uh, evangelical church leader, uh, Francis Chan, we talked about him before, he had a loaf of bread on, on the altar table thing that they have, and he said, we're doing communion now every week. And he goes, the only reason why is because I was reading 1 Corinthians 11. It says, as often as you do this. Well, I'm going to proclaim the Lord's death all the time. And he goes, and I don't even understand how this proclaims the Lord's death. I don't get it, but that's what St. Paul says. So we're just going to do it. And I remember sitting there being like, oh, my goodness. Like, here is... This beautiful moment, the idea of where does adoration or where does evangelization connect with the Eucharist? It's Jesus. It is Jesus that we seek. The beautiful thing, as Dave said, that oftentimes Jesus as that, you know, sacred prisoner in the tabernacle or whatever, a prisoner of love, you know, some people poetically call him. But he is there waiting for them to come home. So I would say the Eucharist as a topic can be used to show the fullness of which Jesus Christ desires to be our Emmanuel, God with us, where he becomes our very nourishment, right? The idea of an intimacy where the two become one in the marital world, Jesus is desiring to make us 
to fill us with his divine life by the Eucharist, by communicating through his human nature, his giving us his divine nature. Like there is so much that you can unpack. And the nature of sacramental grace, I think, is another beautiful way, right. another access point for people. Like I am here. This is viaticum, bread for the journey. Right, We are journeying here together, and Christ has not abandoned us. He gave us his Holy Spirit, but also he's with us always, yes, even to the end of the age. And that's what the Eucharist is for all of us. So, yeah, you're right. Catholics are very relativistic today. We are just like the culture because we have done a terrible job in formation. The central thing people know is the Mass. And within the Mass, if people want to talk about the Eucharist, you can use that to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Uh, there are so many ways. Okay, so I love it. Um, people, please, uh, every knee shall bow, EKSB at ascensionpress.com. Shoot us an email, and maybe when, in about another month or a month and a half, we'll do another one of these episodes. Maybe, I don't know, maybe your email could be featured. Who knows? Um, coming back, we are going to do the five practical takeaways, and yes, they will be painful. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it, but what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples, to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, if you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book is for you. The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Last segment here of Every Knee Shall Bow, everyone's favorite five practical takeaways. Dave, kick us off. All right. Number one, we talked about uh, you know doing weekly devotionals in a men's group. What I want you to do is research uh, weekly lectionary devotionals like The Word Among Us and things like that. There are several of them if you just look online. Some people even just pull them off of the USCCB website. Uh, and see what they have to offer because they are the, the, like the word among us is a great way to enter into the liturgical life of the church in your daily prayer. Okay. So kind of linking your daily prayer to that. So research those and, and find one for, for your small group or maybe even just for personal use. Absolutely. Uh, number two, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to pray for Luke, the seminarian. Yeah. Heavenly father, we bless and praise your holy and sacred name. We thank you. For Luke's yes to his vocation being called first into the uh, transitional diaconate and then hopefully, Lord God, into the priesthood. We ask that you bless him and all other seminarians like him in the UK who are striving for the gospel, who are contending with you, Lord, to bring grace upon your people. Give them the resources, volunteers, people, and faith they need to accomplish your work. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, number three, if you've got a little spare change around, order the book, The Way of the Disciple by Erasmo Leva Merikakis and give it a read. You could read it easily if you wanted to in a day, but a week would be perfect to just read, you know, about a chapter a day. It's a wonderful book. And, and when I say I love this book, like I, I mean, I read it 
two or three times a year usually. I really love this book, okay? I really love it, and I think you'll love it too. It just gets right to the heart of, of discipleship. So I don't know, people, if you can tell, but we're actually walking through each of the letters and coming up with our takeaways. So for number four, go to adoration yourself, or if you have little kids, take your kids to 10 minutes of adoration at some point this week. Just let them be expo- exposed to Jesus Christ and get a S-O-N sunburn. Am I right? Oh S-O-N, a, a sunburn? That, that is the worst. It's not okay. the worst. It's not it's, the worst, but it's, it's one of there. the It's one of the worst. Kyrigma right, no, is five. the worst. Kyrigma. No, I, I use it all the time now. I use it um, all the time, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we think we're so funny. Uh, okay, number five. <laughs> number five. This is your last one, and this is a, a bit of shameless self-promotion on our part. Uh, what we want you to do is just share this podcast. You know, we're getting emails every day from people who are saying like, it's changed their ministry. It's changed their, their relationships. It's given them hope to try and go out and evangelize. And we just, I just love it. It's making me so happy that we are getting together as a, as an army of evangelists and making a difference. So, uh, you know, guys, a lot of people feel helpless out there. They don't know what it means to evangelize. They don't know how. And we might be a bumbling fool, bumbling fools for ninety nine percent of the time, but we do give some practical, some practical advice from the things that we've we've learned over the years. So please consider sharing this podcast with someone who doesn't already have it. Okay, share the podcast. That's awesome. So these have been your five practical takeaways for every knee shall bow your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gomer Gormley. And I'm here with Dave, the masked pamphleteer Van Vickle. God bless y'all. God bless you.